I want to start by saying happy Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day. <laughs> yes. Yes. Happy Memorial Day, everyone. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, hopefully. In Palinville, New York on WLPP, Grand Rapids WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Goldendale, Washington's KVGD. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950. KTNF, amongst others. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker... And all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. And my thanks to Angie Coiro of In Deep Radio for filling in for us uh, on Friday with a Cracker Jack show. In yes. case you missed it. it was that was fun and excellent. good. I love tuning in. <laughs> to my own show and learning things from uh, someone else's hosting it. Pretty neat how that works, Yeah, it is, it? actually. It was. And there was a <laughs> lot of great stuff. You can download that for free anytime if you like at bradblog.com. Thanks, of course, to those of you who uh, make that possible by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Well, uh, some good news and, uh, well, let's start with some good news. Uh, Trump did not yet pardon U.S. military war criminals. I say not yet, uh, as Fox News had been trying to convince him to do over the Memorial Day weekend. So already, Desi Doyen, things are looking up, right? We got one victory. We'll take the good news where we can. Indeed. Um, He also did not go to war with Iran over the weekend, so there's that. And he even appears to be cooling his rhetoric somewhat by claiming that Iran wants a deal Iran claims otherwise, but let's not tell Donald Trump, shall we? (laughs) Also, uh, Trump didn't yet make things worse with North Korea as he spent the weekend in Japan, despite North Korea's uh, recent ballistic missile tests out there, about which I hope to talk more on tomorrow's broadcast. But Trump has succeeded in frustrating some allies in the region in regard to North Korea, including in Japan, where Trump spent the weekend meeting with Japan Prime Minister 
Shinzo Abe saying things like this. Well, thank you very much. And I want to start by saying happy Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day. Yes, happy Memorial Day. Oh, my. Has nobody told the president of the United States that you don't say happy Memorial Day, but that it's a somber time to reflect and remember those who have died, given their lives in military service for the country. Nobody mentioned that to the president of the United States. Or the fact that he said it to uh, Japanese troops, you know, when the U.S. bombed Japan rather completely with nuclear weapons and killed entire cities. So happy Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day. Anyway, more more on Trump in Asia, hopefully on tomorrow's broadcast. But from uh, the mess abroad back to the many messes here at home, we've got a hodgepodge of news that I want to try to catch up on from across the country uh, over the holiday weekend uh, when I hope you had a happy Memorial Day. Mm. (laughs) Uh, It was not so happy, however, in Ohio. Let's start there, where yet another swarm of tornadoes, and these have been seemingly nonstop over the past week uh, across you know why? because they've been nonstop right yeah uh, more than over more than half a dozen states uh, they continued on Monday uh, knocked out power to some five million Ohioans in the uh, in the Buckeye state which is why I said I hope that we are on the air today at our uh, Columbus Ohio affiliate WGRN. But a swarm of tornadoes so tightly packed that one may have crossed the path carved by another, according to AP, uh, tore across Indiana and Ohio overnight on Monday, smashing homes, blowing out windows and uh, ending the school year early for some students because of damage to buildings. Well, so there's an upside for some, I guess. For the kids. Yeah. Uh, one person was, however, killed. About 90 were injured across the state. The storms were among 53 twisters that forecasters said may have touched down on Monday across eight states stretching eastward from Idaho and Colorado. The past couple of weeks have seen unusually high tornado activity in the U.S. Now, why, oh, why would that be? Not only unusually high, but also uh, it, uh, it does seem to me um, that these are not getting the coverage that they deserve. Just the amount of them, the number of them, uh, the way they are swarming and they are not being connected. The dots are not being connected as usual, it seems to me, to climate change. Have you seen something different, Desi Doy? No, I have not. And that is kind of remarkable, especially considering the the uh, the relentless launch and march of these tornadoes yeah. across so many states. And on top of the flooding, it's almost as if there is a sort of disaster fatigue among the media that they're, yeah, you know, it's still flooding. Oh, well, let's move on to something more interesting. Yeah, but you know what? It's not uh, fatigue because they didn't cover it to start with. You know, they weren't connecting the uh, climate crisis That they dots. were not doing. Uh, and so these tornadoes are sort of being uh, treated as as isolated incidents in in, uh, in many at many news outlets rather than this insanely high number of swarms day after day following, yes, that month of flooding across much of the upper Midwest and the central U.S. Which is still ongoing, by the way. Yes. 
and not being getting any better from these uh, relentless storms. The winds churned up so much debris on Monday, reportedly, that it could be seen on radar. Highway crews had to use snow plows to clear an Ohio interstate. Some of the heaviest damage was reported just outside Dayton, Ohio. In uh, Salina, Ohio, which uh, just outside Dayton, 81-year-old Melvin Dale Hanna was killed when a parked car was blown into his house, according to authorities. Mayor Jeffrey Hazel said uh, on Tuesday there there's areas that truly look like a war zone. Hundreds of homes were damaged across about eight different states. As I mentioned, power knocked out to more than five million in Ohio as of Tuesday morning with what is being reported as catastrophic damage in a number of these cities in uh, several different states at once. Storm reports posted online by the by NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Their uh, Storm Prediction Center showed that 14 suspected tornadoes touched down in Indiana, 11 in Colorado, 9 in Ohio, 6 were reported in Iowa, 5 in Nebraska, 4 in Illinois, and 3 in Minnesota, with one in Idaho. That is uh, just after, I believe it was 13, were reported in my old home state of Missouri late last week, following a swarm of more than 130 over the week before it. This is nuts. Monday marked the record-tying 11th straight day with at least eight tornadoes in the U.S., according to Patrick Marsh at the uh, Storm Prediction Center. Outbreaks of 50 or more tornadoes have happened 63 times in U.S. history, with three instances on record of more than 100 twisters, according to Marsh. That includes a deadly April 27, 2011 super outbreak of 173 tornadoes. But Monday's outbreak was unusual because it happened over a particularly wide geographic area, and came amid an especially active stretch of tornadoes. So it was unusual because there has been so many day after day after day and to cover so many states at once on the same day with so many tornadoes. Please pay attention. Uh, Dangerous weather is uh, predicted across a bunch of states over the next day or two as well. So please stay safe out there. And that's on top of the dangerously warm weather that uh, Desi told us about uh, the uh, National Weather Service predicting for the southeast this week. Yes, record-breaking temperatures. So there's that. Uh, So, uh, you know, if you wonder why it's so difficult to get folks to appreciate the dangers of global warming and our worsening climate crisis, maybe this story from Hollywood Reporter today offers a clue. Uh, remember, as noted uh, in that story from AP, some of the heaviest damage was reported just outside Dayton, Ohio. And yet a meteorologist from Dayton, Ohio, on TV, on live TV, had to snap at Bachelor Nation fans after uh, this is uh, ABC's long running reality franchise. Uh, viewers complained on social media when a tornado warning on Monday night interrupted the night's broadcast of The Bachelorette. 
uh, I was just checking social media. We have viewers complaining already. Just go back to the show. No, we're not going back to the show, folks. This is a dangerous situation, okay? It's nice, right? Think about this. This was your neighborhood. I'm sick and tired of people complaining about this. Our job here is to keep people safe, and that is what we're going to do. Some of you complain that this is all about my ego. Stop. Okay, just stop right now. It's not. I'm, I'm done with you people. I really am. This is pathetic. Sit, dangerous situation here. All right, I'm sorry I did that. I'm just, it just really bothers me that we have people that don't care about other people's safety around here. That's just ridiculous. Uh, good for him. That was Fox yeah. 45's Jamie Simpson. And, uh, you know, he, he apologized there. He shouldn't have, frankly. There was no need to. No, somebody needs to make these people wake up. Yep. Uh, it's just amazing to, to hear that, that he had to do that. Uh, the show's current bachelorette, Hannah Brown, uh, eventually heard or as Hollywood Reporter uh, notes, caught wind of the situation on Twitter and said that while she appreciated, quote, the love, she advised her fans in Ohio to take caution, quote, LOL, too funny. Thanks, Dayton, Ohio, for the love, but be safe, adding, naders are no joke. Naders? Yeah. She's from Alabama, so she's she's a oh, former Naders. Miss Alabama Tornadoes. Tornadoes. Yeah, Naders. Got it. Yeah, okay. hilarious uh, lady, whatever her name is, Hannah Brown. Uh, so you know what? Maybe that's why they don't give a damn about the, if this is not if it if there's not a car literally blowing into your goddamn living room. I guess nothing matters out there. I guess it doesn't matter that we're having hundreds of of tornadoes and people are getting killed and uh, without power day after day after day, week after week, flooding across. You know, if it doesn't affect you, I guess it doesn't matter. Let's turn on The Bachelor, The Bachelorette. Uh, We don't want to hear about climate crisis. That's not bothering us. Not yet. The hell with my kids, my grandkids. Do I need to issue an apology now, Desi Doyen, to (laughs) to somebody for that? No, that is something that we've seen fairly frequently with a certain segment of the population. If it doesn't happen to them personally or someone that they personally care about, then they do not care. Speaking of some of those people, uh, this is... uh, and, And by the way, and speaking of Ohio... Dayton, Ohio, Uh, there was a KKK rally set for Dayton, Ohio this weekend. And, well, it it came off in Dayton before the tornadoes, Uh, but it did not go as well as some of the races may have hoped, according to uh, news reports. Nine people showed up to a white supremacist rally in Dayton, Ohio, on Saturday and found themselves dramatically outnumbered by counter-protesters who flooded the city's downtown in a show of unity against hate. Good. You know, I'm going to guess the people that were showing up to protest were not the same ones who were complaining about breaking into the Bachelorette while a tornado was uh, coming through town. Boy, I have, you know, off holiday for five minutes and I'm already (laughs) uh, the uh, the counter protesters um, 
who included members of the local chapter of the NAACP. Uh, they sang Amazing Grace. They played tubas and the drums. According to WHIO-TV, they carried signs with messages about unity and love and chanted anti-racist slogans. City officials said an estimated 500 to 600 people gathered to express their condemnation of the rally that was organized by the, uh, this is their name, the Honorable Sacred Knights of Indiana, a Ku Klux Klan-affiliated group. But just nine members of the Klan-affiliated group showed up, all but one of whom was wearing masks, very courageous of them, and they spoke little during the rally as everyone else was uh, singing uh, love songs, which I kind of like. Good for them. Dayton officials said there for were... The for the counter-protesters. Yes, just to be clear. <laughs> just to be clear. All right. Are you saying good for the KKK, <laughs> Desi Doyen? I Definitely can't believe not. it. Somebody take that out of context and put it on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, there were apparently no arrests, injuries, or clashes reporting during the day's events. That is very lucky. Uh, the uh, Dayton mayor said, I'm very glad today's events went off without incident and the hate group that tried to threaten our city is gone. But the city said it spent about $650,000 on security for the rally. So I guess those Klansmen who, uh, when they're not wearing their hoods, are also probably complaining that their taxes are too high. They really got their money's worth this weekend, didn't they? Journalist Marcus DePaula reported that several counter-protesters were seen openly carrying rifles, which is a, a legal practice under Ohio law. So this is great. This is going to work out well, right? Members of the white supremacist group may also have been armed. According to a, an earlier AP report, the permit... Uh, that they had um, the agreement that there was struck between them and the city of Dayton allowed them to carry certain firearms to the rally. So I guess we should be uh, very happy that it all remained peaceful. According to the uh, New York Times, it was unclear why the KKK group based in Madison, Indiana, chose to hold a rally some 120 miles away in Dayton uh, gosh, I hope they didn't run into bad weather on their way home. But uh, Dayton, uh, characterized by the Times as uh, one of the country's most racially segregated cities, is also, according to the Times, something of a political bellwether in Ohio, which is often a swing state in presidential elections. Well, let's just hope that the folks in Dayton vote the way uh, they counter protest. Uh, what, 500 to 9, was it there? Mm -hmm. uh, and, by the way, that their votes are counted as cast in the bargain. In somewhat related news, Franklin Graham. Yes, I said Franklin Graham was in related news to the KKK. One of the country's most prominent evangelicals and most ardent supporters of President Donald Trump is using his platform, yes, his religious pulpit, yes, his tax-exempt religious pulpit, to prompt fellow Christians to pray for Trump's protection against his, quote, enemies who he, who, uh, he says seek to destroy him. On his Facebook page, Franklin Graham announced a designated, quote, special day of prayer for Donald Trump. Next Sunday. Hello, this is Franklin Graham. Uh, next Sunday, June the 2nd, I and many other Christian leaders across the country are asking you uh, to take a moment during that day 
uh, to pray for President uh, Donald Trump. I don't believe any president uh, in history of this nation has been attacked more than Donald Trump. Uh, he's our president, and if he succeeds, we all benefit. But if his enemies are allowed to destroy him uh, and pull down the presidency, it will hurt our entire nation. And so I'm just asking that we take uh, a few moments and that we pray on the 2nd of, of June. Uh, pray for him and his family. And we're going to do this all over the country, many thousands of churches. So please join us uh, on June 2nd and pray uh, for President Donald J. Trump. So uh, Franklin Graham saying that on uh, Sunday, I guess, in church, uh, everybody should have a special day of prayer for Donald Trump for some reason because no president in history has been attacked, according to him, more than Donald Trump. Now, Abraham Lincoln might have something to say about that in response, but uh, Graham is head of the Samaritan's Purse and a son of the uh, late evangel uh, evangelist uh, Billy Graham, uh, who, frankly, I, I cannot e imagine ever doing something like this. No, that was not necessarily something that I recall would be in the senior Graham's uh, portfolio of things that he would say. And also, by the way, yeah. at Samaritan's Purse, which is supposed to be a disaster aid organization, Franklin Graham gets over $600,000 in his salary. Really? Yes, really. Instead of going to, well, that's that vow of poverty that those uh, evangelicals take, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I can't, uh, yeah, his father, I, uh, well, maybe I don't know. I, I just can't imagine him being as insane and partisan as his son, but maybe I just don't know Billy Graham uh, because uh, Franklin picked this up from somewhere. So anyway, uh, he's been a longtime supporter of Trump. He has uh, maintained his Support is contingent on his belief that Trump defends the values of evangelical Christians, despite questions about Trump's moral misgivings. Well, that's a nice way to put it. Franklin Graham recently came under attack when he targeted 2020 candidate Pete Buttigieg, who identifies as a Christian and a gay man, with Franklin Graham suggesting that those values could not be synonymous. You cannot be a Christian and be gay, according to Franklin Graham. Uh, but of course, what would what would have happened if a, if a Democrat or a, uh, a progressive questioned Franklin Graham's faith like that? I mean, look what the hell look what they did to the Pope. I almost said for Christ's sake, but look what they did <laughs> to the Pope uh, when he said that uh, Christians don't build walls. We build bridges or something like that. And they attacked him, suggesting that the Pope was was out of line because he was seen as questioning Donald Trump's Christian faith. But I guess it's okay to for uh, a preacher, Billy Franklin Graham, uh, to question Pete Buttigieg. Uh, more on uh, Pete Buttigieg in a bit, if I can get to it today. Uh, but Graham and the KKK were not the only far-right wackos reaching a big audience over the Memorial Day weekend. Uh, by the way, happy Memorial Day, everyone. Uh, I don't know uh, the town of Fresno, California, all that well, so I really don't wish to disparage it and the people there. But there's something going on in Fresno. And, you know, perhaps we better ban uh, Fresno 
uh, people there until we can figure out what the hell is going on. Uh, because I was reminded uh, this morning when I read this story out of Fresno, I was reminded about an exclusive that we ran at brandblog.com back in 2013. Uh, you may remember this, Des, when their, their registrar of voters essentially stopped an attempted statewide recount of Prop 37 at the time. That was a 2012 statewide ballot initiative that would have required the labeling of GMO foods. Uh, the, the, the county of Fresno at that point essentially stopped the whole count because the registrar voters in Fresno at the time in California, registrars are are essentially allowed to charge whatever they would, uh, whatever they want to charge for recounts. They can pretty much just make up any number they wanted. Well, uh, the registrar in uh, in Fresno decided to charge a citizens group who was seeking this recount an outrageous amount of money because they wanted to check the hand marked paper ballots to make sure that the computers had tabulated them correctly. Uh, because Prop Thirty Seven ended up failing. And uh, a lot of folks thought it might pass. Now, it was opposed with some $44 million uh, at the time uh, from corporations like Monsanto and DuPont. But we really don't know. We have hand-counted paper ballots in California, but if no human beings actually bother to count them, who knows if they're right or wrong? So this group was trying to do exactly that. And uh, as I reported back in the time, back uh, back at the time in 2013, the citizen led attempt to make sure that Prop 37 actually did fail, since without a citizen funded recount, all results in California are still tallied in secret by computers, as they are in almost every other state in the union. Uh, That count was stopped dead in its tracks in Fresno County by the registrar's demand for more than $18,000 before even a single ballot could be examined for accuracy. And that was just the starting price. The group counted ballots from a sampling of precincts in other counties like Orange County, which is the third largest in the state over three days. Uh, The cost was a total of $5,400. Uh, in Sierra County, which is the second smallest county in the state, they were able to oversee a hand count of every ballot in the county uh, the, for, for about $500. And yet when they got to Fresno, before they could even count one, the registrar demanded uh, tens of thousands of dollars, $18,000. Uh, the group was told they would be charged in total in addition to the $14,000 setup fee. They would then be charged after that more than $4,000 a day to count this ballot initiative in Fresno to make sure that it actually, in this case, did not pass. Over $4,000 a day after the $14,000 setup fee. That compared to just $600 a day. In Orange County, $500 a day in Sierra County. So again, I don't know what's going on in Fresno, but when I saw this new story today out of Fresno, it seemed to fit right in and, and seems less than the accident that this minor league baseball team out of Fresno seems to suggest. The minor league team is the Fresno Grizzlies. Uh, they are affiliated with the Washington Nationals. Uh, in in the major leagues, they apologized late on Monday night for airing a Memorial Day tribute video that accused Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of being one of the, quote, enemies of freedom. 
I guess that was one of the enemies that Franklin Graham was talking about. Uh, The video features a speech from uh, former President Ronald Reagan where he heralds the, quote, moral courage of free men and women as America's, quote, formidable weapon. As for the enemies of freedom, Reagan says, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. And as he says that in this in his speech, in this video, there are photos of Kim Jong-un and Fidel Castro and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. According to uh, Fresno Bee reporter uh, Carmen George, the tribute was aired at a Grizzlies game on Monday. But it's a three and a half minute video, by the way. So it's not like, oh, we didn't have time to look at it all. It's a three and a half minute video. It's quite deliberate. It sure seems like it. And it's not like it flashes by this picture of AOC. It's on the screen for a while. The uh, the Grizzlies uh, put out a note uh, of apology saying a pre-produced video from outside our front office was selected. Unfortunately, what was supposed to be a moving tribute ended with some misleading and offensive editing, which made a statement that was not our intent and certainly not our opinion. The Grizzlies said in a statement posted on Twitter, we apologize to our fans and to our community for the error and for not properly vetting the video. How about an apology to AOC? Didn't mention them, did they? Uh, They didn't say a thing about her or apologize to her until several hours later, they finally issued an apology to Ocasio-Cortez saying we unconditionally apologize to Rep. Ocasio-Cortez in addition to our fans, community, and those we hurt. They tweeted, it was a mistake and we will ensure that nothing like, like it ever happens again. Well, good. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> Fresno. Uh, Keep your eye on Fresno. Yeah. What the hell is going on? We have <laughs> to know. ban Fresno until we <laughs> yeah. can figure out what the hell is going on there. Mind you, by the way, they did not say anything about the fact that in that enemies montage, it also showed anti-Klan protesters. They were part of the enemies along with AOC and... Uh, Kim Jong-un and uh, whoever else, uh, they were marching with signs that said, no KKK, no fascism. Those were the enemies, apparently. So who are the enemies of freedom here, really? All right, quick break, and maybe we'll find out uh, as we move down to Texas for actually some good voting news for a change for Texans. And then we're back up to Ohio and Michigan for some bad voting news from, yes, our Supreme Court. That's straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks.
Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Yes, trying to change the world for the better with you. Thanks for joining us. Well, let's see. It's it's uh, not going to be easier to change the world, it looks like, in Michigan and Ohio and a whole bunch of other states. At least the Supreme Court is not going to be making it easier for us. At least that's my guess. We'll find out in a few weeks, but we... Uh, we got sort of a disturbing hint on Friday from the U.S. Supreme Court when uh, they put on hold lower federal court orders in Michigan and Ohio to redraw electoral maps that federal judges found to be unconstitutional partisan gerrymanders. We talked about it um, in both states in some detail in recent weeks when the ruling from the appellate courts came out. They were very good news that finally these uh, these partisan gerrymanders were going to be uh, were ordered to be fixed and corrected before the 2020 election. But now uh, the U.S. Supreme Court has put that on hold. The high court action comes while it is weighing cases from Maryland and North Carolina that raise similar issues and could affect redistricting everywhere. So. Uh, I don't know, but this does not seem like good news to me that the Supreme Court said, wait, wait, don't do it. This does not seem like good news to me uh, regarding those cases in Maryland and North Carolina uh, by the Supreme Court, which we should be hearing about in just a few weeks here. I guess it's Supreme Court season uh, beginning in uh, in June. But the brief from the court on Friday orders uh, that uh, did not from the justices did not telegraph the outcome one way or another of those redistricting cases that are expected to be decided by the end of June. They more likely reflect, according to AP, that whatever the court decides probably will affect rulings that struck down legislative and congressional districts in Michigan and congressional districts in Ohio. It will affect them in some way above and beyond what the appellate courts had ordered that these districts be redrawn in time for 2020. Ohio lawmakers had faced a June 14 deadline to draw new congressional districts before the 2020 election or have the courts do it for them. The deadline in Michigan was August 1. Now those are both on hold. Federal appeals court judges in both states had ordered new maps for the 2020 elections after they found that Republicans who controlled the redistricting process in 2011 after the uh, 2010 decennial census had unconstitutionally created districts that essentially guaranteed Republican dominance for the next 10 years. We reported both stories uh, when the appellate courts came out uh, with their rulings as as good news when they occurred just a few weeks ago, noting that it had taken a decade for those good news decisions to finally come. Uh, after perverting our system of democracy overall for all of those years by packing Congress and packing state legislatures in Ohio, in Michigan, in North Carolina, in Wisconsin, other states as well, uh, with with Republicans, despite, uh, in many cases, Democrats receiving more votes from voters. State and congressional districts are redrawn, of course, once a decade. That's why there's so much focus on the 2020 census coming up and whether 
Trump will be allowed to add this question about uh, about immigration status, which uh, many fear is going to keep uh, many people from filling out their census form and depress uh, depress the vote, depress the count, I guess, in uh, in many uh, areas and shift the count to white right wing areas. Michigan is among five states where Republicans retained control of the state house, even though Democratic candidates won more votes statewide last fall, according to an analysis by the Associated Press. In the Michigan case, judge ordered new maps for nine of 14 congressional seats and 25 of 148 legislative districts, including an order to hold new elections in 2020 for several state Senate seats that were supposed to uh, those elections weren't supposed to happen until 2022. But that's how bad the maps are in Michigan. The court ordered, no, you got to have those state Senate uh, Senate elections two years early because they have been so bastardized. Ohio has 12 Republican congressmen and four Democrat uh, Democratic representatives under the existing map which went into effect way back in 2012, even though Republicans received barely more than half the total number number of uh, of congressional votes last November. Nonetheless, they've held Democrats to just four seats in the congressional delegation in this notorious swing state for the entire past decade at this point. The Supreme Court is considering Uh, challenges into congressional maps drawn by Republicans, as I said, in North Carolina uh, and by Democrats in Maryland, where one district is being challenged as a uh, partisan gerrymander by uh, the Democrats there. The court could set the uh, first limits ever on drawing districts for partisan advantage, as many of us hope, but... um, I am not encouraged. Uh, In fact, they are more likely, in my opinion, and boy, I hope I'm wrong here, uh, but they are more likely to uh, say that, you know what, partisan gerrymandering, the courts should stay out of this. We need to leave this up to the legislature. It's up to them. Yes, it's up to the same people who were voted in under these laws uh, let's let them decide uh, who's going to get to vote for them. Yeah, they've basically embedded themselves. Republicans yep. have embedded themselves using partisan gerrymandering yep. like ticks. And their voters will not be able to get rid of them if these maps are still in place in 2020, I fear, unless there's some other mechanism voters can launch in all states to ensure fair maps. Like ballot initiatives, which uh, they have been uh, passing those in a number of states, Missouri, Michigan, Utah, uh, et cetera. But yeah, again, in Michigan, where they've got that bastardized state legislature, they are trying to undermine the will of the people who had... Uh, voted in favor of independent redistricting commissions. So uh, there was also some more disturbing news from the Supreme Court uh, regarding abortion today, but that's going to have to wait for another day. And it's being well covered elsewhere, I think, in any event today, uh, because I want to make sure we hit this uh, because there there has not been much good news for voters and voting rights over the past decade or two in Texas. So it's a fairly low bar as to what suffices for for good voting news out of the Lone Star State. But here, at least, uh, we have at long last a bit of such good news, uh, which at least voting rights folks there are hailing as huge news. 
given that it is Texas and all, I'll take it. All right. Shortly before the uh, the state Senate's closing gavel ended his term as secretary of state on Monday, David Whitley delivered his letter of resignation effective, quote, effective immediately to Governor Greg Abbott, because, of course, he had no choice in Texas. The governor appoints the secretary of state, but then he or she it's Texas. So he uh, must be confirmed by the state Senate in order to keep the job. Well, the Texas state Senate would not vote to allow this guy to keep his job. Whitley needed Senate confirmation by the end of the legislative session, which ended on Monday, in order to remain on the job. But he fell short of the 21 votes required, despite uh, support from all 19 Republican senators. All 12 Democrats in the Senate held firm for a change in their opposition to Whitley, over his handling of an investigation into the citizenship status of registered voters that prompted three federal lawsuits and eventually a court settlement that halted the probe and limited the scope of future such investigations. This is the case we discussed a few months ago in which then Secretary of State Whitley in Texas announced that some 100,000 non-citizens had registered to vote in Texas. Can you imagine 100,000 non-citizens and that at least 58,000 of them had actually cast votes? Well, that story, as we explained at the time and will again now, was completely false. Uh, Governor Abbott, Whitley's friend and mentor, was unable to uh, dislodge the opposition to his friend uh, in the three and a half months since Whitley's confirmation hearing uh, at, in the Senate Nominations Committee came up and brought this issue up. Abbott quickly uh, accepted his resignation, praising the moral, quote, moral character and integrity of Whitley who just happened to be his former deputy chief of staff in the governor's office and had begun working for Abbott back in 2004. Whitley had spent almost four years as uh, the then attorney general's travel aide. Abbott had been the, uh, the attorney general before he became governor. He is disabled. He's in a wheelchair. And uh, Whitley was uh, his travel aide. And we drive Abbott across Texas, help him to move from his automobile to his wheelchair. So, yes, of course, totally qualified to be the state's chief election official. Texas. Uh, anyway, here's where the uh, problems began and ended for Whitley. There was uh, his announcement in January that his investigation had identified 100,000 potential non-citizens who had registered to vote, 58,000 who had cast at least one ballot since 1996. And you may recall Donald Trump and other Republicans at the time publicized the announcement as proof of widespread election fraud. It was all over Fox News, naturally. Uh, second, then Whitley then referred the list of names to the Texas attorney general, Ken Paxton, who, by the way, is still facing several felony indictments himself for securities fraud. Yes, the state's top law enforcement official is under felony indictment because Texas uh, Paxton then uh, referred that list to uh, for possible prosecution of election law violations. The problem was that many of these suspected registered non-voters 
had been, in fact, naturalized U.S. citizens who were, in fact, eligible to vote. They might have been non-citizens at one time, but not anymore. They had become citizens, which Whitley later acknowledged, uh, but not once the cat was out of the bag and he had made this big thing and he had ordered every county in the state of Texas to give 30 days to the people on this list that they had to prove themselves that they were citizens or they would be removed from the rolls. Even if they were, you know, out of town that day for whatever that month, for whatever reason, they would still be removed from the rolls under this order. Mission accomplished. He got the word out. A lot of people believed it, even though it was entirely false. Yep. And uh, in any event, uh, now he is at least paying a price for it. And by the way, so are the taxpayers of Texas. Now, uh, Gilberto uh, Hinojosa, the chairman of the Texas Democratic Party, uh, thanked Senate Democrats for remaining firm in their opposition to Whitley. For, quote, keeping a watchful eye on Republicans who sought to scare, confuse and intimidate Texans from participating in their democracy. Um, This was essentially meant to be a purge from the voting rolls, but it didn't work. Shortly after it was announced, the Secretary of State's citizenship investigation was met with three federal lawsuits from civil rights groups and naturalized voters who had been targeted in this thing. And faced with the evidence of flaws in the list of potential non-citizen voters, U.S. District Judge Fred Beery issued an order in late February blocking Texas counties from sending these letters to those who had been identified as potential non-citizen voters, demanding their proof of citizenship within 30 days. About two months later, the lawsuits were then settled out of court, and under the settlement agreement, Whitley rescinded his January 25 advisory, Uh, and adopted a limited process uh, to investigate the citizenship of voters in the future and also agreed to pay $450,000 to the plaintiffs to cover their legal costs and fees. But, you know, remember, Republicans love to complain about government waste, but they don't seem to mind when they have to pay, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in settlements, millions of dollars in settlements, and then claim we need lower taxes. Well, maybe if you all didn't keep, you know, paying out settlements for trying to purge voting rolls uh, and, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for security during KKK rallies, uh, maybe you wouldn't have uh, so much government waste to complain about. Anyway, quick break, and we're back with some more election news, some 2020 presidential news to be specific. After a quick break, I'm Brad Friedman. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the broadcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks.
Welcome back to the Bradcast. Glad you could join us. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. As the New York Times notes today, uh, there is a historically large field of Democratic presidential candidates that now seems to be set, maybe, we'll see, but interviews with various party leaders and strategists over the weekend revealed, they say, a more a far more fluid race than Joe Biden's double digit polling advantage currently would indicate. Democrats say that's in part because much of the party's energy is coming from younger female and progressive activists. Well, Desi, you're at least two out of those three. <laughs> making it unlikely that the 76-year-old former vice president will simply march to the nomination. The first debates are next month. Next month, Desi. I know. Don't be too excited. Well, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot of people to cram into two different nights for the first debate, and I don't think it's going to get really much easier after that. No, it is not. Uh, at this point, Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota points out, she is, of course, one of about 24 Democratic hopefuls. Uh, over the weekend, she said at this point, uh, no one in, in uh, previous races, no one thought that a peanut farmer from Georgia was going to be president or that a governor from Arkansas was going to win or that a guy named Barack Obama was going to be able to capture the White House. For the record, I should also note that at this point in the 2016 race, Donald Trump had not even yet entered it. He had not yet come down that escalator in front of a group of paid actors to pretend that they were supporters of his. So we got a long way to go here. I would say take nothing for granted. Also, uh, many of us are still trying to figure out how to cover 24 candidates. I don't have a clue. Uh, but as one of the top issues for many Democratic voters is how the candidates will take on Donald Trump. Uh, well, we got a bit of an idea about that over the past uh, few days from South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pe uh, Pete Buttigieg. Uh, as Donald Trump was pretending to respect our war dead by wishing everyone a happy Memorial Day over the weekend, Pete Buttigieg was doubling down on some what had been seen as somehow somewhat controversial comments last week. All right, last week, and I'll play these comments, um, this was during a candidate's forum with Washington Post's Robert Costa. Uh, Buttigieg, who served in Afghanistan in naval intelligence, he charged that Donald Trump essentially faked a disability in order to avoid the draft during the Vietnam War, calling uh, Trump essentially what he was, a draft dodger. Look, I don't have a problem standing up to somebody who was, you know, working on season seven, a celebrity apprentice when I was packing my bags for Afghanistan. But at the end of the day, it's not about him. Do you have a question? Do you think he should, should have served in Vietnam? Well, I, I have a pretty dim view of his decision to use his privileged status to fake a disability in order to avoid serving in Vietnam. You believe he faked a disability? Do you believe he has a disability? Yeah, I, I, yeah. <laughs> At least not that one. He, he, he. Um, no, I don't mean to. No, I don't, this is actually really important because I don't. I don't mean to, to trivialize disability, but I think that's exactly what he did. Uh, when um, I mean, when you think about the way somebody can exploit the system. Uh, and needless to say, the way he has treated and mocked disabled people is just one more example uh, of the, the many affronts to, to, to just basic decency uh, that this president has, uh, has inflicted on this country. Uh, uh, but manipulating uh, 
the ability to get a diagnosis. I mean, if you were a conscientious objector, I'd admire that. But this is somebody who I think it's fairly obvious to most of us took advantage of the fact that he was the child of a multimillionaire in order to pretend to be disabled so that somebody could go to war in his place. And I know that that dredges up old wounds from a complicated time during a complicated war. Um, but I'm also old enough to remember when conservatives talked about character as something that mattered in the presidency. And so I think it deserves to be talked about. That was Pete Buttigieg uh, in the Washington Post forum with uh, Robert Costa last week. And, you know, that's something that really has not uh, did not get a lot of coverage in the 2016 race. I think it should. I think he should be called a draft dodger because I think that's what he was. He was not able to show uh, even which is supposedly he had a bone spurs on his heel or something, but he didn't remember which, which foot it was. Foot it was. Yeah. Uh, he should be pressed on that as long as he has been hiding behind the uh, the armed forces, uh, pretending that he, he loves them all so much when he was himself a draft dodger. Now, it's not um, it's not only that that I was happy to see Buttigieg bring up, but it's the fact that he did not back away from it. After he brought it up, it seemed to sort of come out of nowhere during that forum. He was asked about it again over the weekend. And this gives us an idea, I think, how Buttigieg might run against Donald Trump. He did not back down when he was pressed on this by uh, by Martha Raddatz on ABC this week. In fact, he doubled down on his assertion that Trump faked his bone spurs diagnosis to avoid the draft during the Vietnam War. The president and first lady on Thursday went to Arlington Cemetery at about the same time you were saying that the president faked his disability to get out of serving in Vietnam. Pretty positive about that? Yes. Th there is no question, I think, to any reasonable observer that the president found a way to falsify a disabled status uh, taking advantage of his privileged status in order to avoid serving. You have somebody who thinks it's all right to let somebody go in his place into a deadly war and is willing to pretend to be disabled in order to do it. Uh, that is an assault on the honor of this country. Good for him. Yeah. Good for him. And pointing out that uh, when Donald Trump did not go, he let someone else go in his place. Trump, in fact, received five deferments from the draft for uh, because he was in school for education, which, by the way, uh, we haven't seen his records from school, have we? From no. the Wharton Business School after he had uh, made such a thing about Donald, uh, about uh, Barack Obama's birth certificate for some reason. And he keeps telling us he's a, an extremely stable genius, but for some reason he won't show us his the extremely stable genius won't show us his genius records from school. Huh. Okay. Uh, anyway, he received uh, four, uh, five draft affirmance, four for education, and then one after he was done for bone spurs after he had graduated college, during which, by the way, he brags he was a fantastic athlete. 
He said, uh, I had a, a doctor that gave me a letter, a very strong letter on the heels, is what he told New York Times in 26. A very strong letter. Everything he does is strong. It's a, it's a very strong letter. Uh, contrast that, of course, with uh, Pete Buttigieg, who, uh, who deployed to Afghanistan in 2014 as part of the Naval Reserve. He was an intelligence officer there. Um, and that was... Uh, after we no longer had a draft. So Pete Buttigieg decided to join the Naval Reserve on his own. He was not forced to do so. Uh, contrast that with the draft dodger, Donald Trump, who, no, apparently was not disabled, at least when it comes to being unable to serve due to bone spurs. And the fact that this is something that the that the corporate media really doesn't continue to press on. I mean, I'm glad Martha Raddatz asked him about it, but it's already gone out well, of they, the news cycle pretty much. Well, they asked Pete Buttigieg about it, but where, they why are they Trump. pressing Trump about it, for Christ's sake? Exactly. Anyway, it gives us an idea of, uh, of Buttigieg for whatever it's worth uh, and where he's willing to uh, draw the line and hold firm as opposed to not back down. That may or may not be useful in uh, your decisions about who to vote for in this upcoming Democratic primary. 24 candidates. Good luck to you <laughs> and to us. Uh, but we got to get out. My thanks to Desi Doyen and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com or your favorite podcast site. Hope you'll leave a kind word for us wherever you download it to make it a little easier for everyone else to find us as well. You can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I am simply the Brad Blog, and my thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help Desi and I stay on your public airwaves every day that we can where we don't like to back down either. All right, that's it. Is that it? That's it. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs>